Here's what, here's what I think it was Paul and Silas when they were in the book of uh, Acts and uh, Philippi and they had been beaten up. And, of course, they're praying, they're singing. And the, the, the jail just gets rocked by an earthquake. You know, the doors swing open. They don't leave. Nobody leaves. And he tells the jailer who's about to commit suicide, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your family and interesting, he did not say believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said believe on Epi. Believe on him. Let your life come to rest on him. That means a trust factor is involved. And he says he will save you. And he not only save you, he will save your family. There's two places in Matthew. I'm not going to preach from there. We're going to actually go to Hebrews 11 in just a moment. Two places in Matthew. One is in Matthew 8. And uh, it's Jesus sleeping in the fishing vessel, you know. And, you know, they wake him up. They're telling him we're all about to drown. And uh, he says something to them. He says, oh, you have little faith. You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And think about those two statements. Uh, one is a declaration. One is a question. You, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? A little bit later in, in Matthew, in Matthew 14, is a similar setting. It's a fishing boat. This time Jesus is not in the boat with them. And the waves, it doesn't say it's a storm, but it's like the wind is contrary to where they're trying to get to. And the waves are just crashing against them. And they're not having very good luck getting across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus comes walking to him on the water. And you know that Peter said, if that's you, you know, let me come to you. And he says, well, come on. And Peter's walking out there to him. He looks down the waves, and all of a sudden he starts sinking. And Jesus reaches down and picks him up. And he said this to Peter, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? And it seems as though Jesus is saying that faith is adversely affected by two things, fear and doubt. And we might say, well, yeah, doubt is kind of like the opposite. Doubt is actually a belief in something else. You know, the reason for God that I read, uh, it just made so much sense. It's impossible to have doubt without faith. Because doubt means you believe something other than. Peter started believing that he was drowning. And what Jesus was saying is like, you redirected your faith. You you went away from looking at me and trusting me, and then you went and, and trusted the water and the waves more. And it's... And maybe the real motivation behind our struggles is not necessarily doubt. It might be fear. And that's what he said to the disciples. He said, you know, why are you afraid? I'm in the boat. You really think we're going to sink with me in the boat? And, you know, and he spoke to the storms and, and they were just utterly amazed. But he really said, this is not about the storm. This is about what you thought about me. You had to wake me up because you thought we were all drowning. And that's what they said. They says, they didn't say, you know, the disciples are drowning. They says, we all are drowning, including you. (laughs) 
and, and their, their fear redirected their faith away from that. I want to take you to Hebrews 11. Uh, how important is faith? Is there a passage that just speaks about how important faith is, besides the ones I've read to you? Okay. Without faith, this is Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there you have it. Now we have 1 Corinthians 13 that talks about there's these three that remains, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That doesn't mean that faith and hope are like, okay, they're not as, as important as love. Because he talks about people exercising faith without the disposition of love. He talks about people who have all kind of intelligence and all kinds of knowledge, but if they are not operating in love, all of that is, doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. And I was <clears throat> listening to some of the songs we were, and uh, <clears throat> one of the songs was, He is faithful, He is hope, and we proclaim His great love. Those three, now by the faith, hope, and love. And we, in another song, my hope is built, holy trust in Jesus' name, and in Savior's love. So you have those three dynamics at work. That's the way they're supposed to work. And they're not supposed to work separate from each other. They're supposed to work. But faith pulls us in to trust God and trust that his love is going to protect us and care for us when times are tough. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We would be strained to improve upon that, wouldn't we? Well, we're going to look at the heroes in chapter 11. So if you want to follow along with me. <coughs> um, I've got the New American Standard, and I'm throwing you a curve, but uh, there's just some things I wanted to read out of this. By the way, verse 1 reads like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. For it, for it by men of old, our elders, our forefathers, gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. It kind of goes back. I want you to see how many times that when we read it goes back to that which is not seen. Faith works where you can't see. Because if you could see, you wouldn't need to believe, would you? And the whole thing, seeing is believing, no, that's not really true. Seeing is just affirming. And, and, and that's, that was Thomas's whole problem, was it not? That, well, unless I see him, unless I feel him, I'm a sensory person. I have to see and I have to feel. I'm not going to believe that he's alive until I see him and feel him. And, of course, he didn't need to do that. He thought he needed to do that. I and mean, that's why the Lord spoke to him like he did. He says, Thomas, you saw and you believe. That's really good. But more blessed are those who won't see, and they, they're really defined by verse 1. 
they have this assurance that what they don't see is going to come to pass. I want you to see how many times through these heroes that theme shows up. Well, here we go. There's a list here. Beginning in verse 4 is Abel. He's first up. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Caleb, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Well, what was Abel's declaration of faith? He brought a better sacrifice than his brother. So his faith was not just in a concept. His faith was in action. And you see an action point in all of these people. He's giving a list of people who are examples of faith that we can like, okay, if, that, is that, if that's the way it has to happen, then where can I walk in that? Where can I step into that example and say, where do I need not to ask God to show me, but to believe before I see it? To believe before it's visible. That's the whole point. Verse 5, it's Enoch. That's the next hero up. And what was Enoch's? declaration of faith what kind of action what is not necessarily an action but it's a lifestyle of his testimony listen to this by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God took him for he obtained the witness or the testimony before he was taken taken up he was pleasing to God that he had this testimony that he pleased God Now, I don't know what he did physically and actually for people to say, that guy is pleasing God, but I would think that there was something. (laughs) How he lived his life. And then, of course, verse 6 is that, you know, it's impossible without faith. It's impossible to please God. But next up is Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. There is that element of something that he hasn't seen yet. He hasn't, he, listen to this, he's never seen it rain because it had never rained. The ground was watered by dew and warned of God about something he's never seen. Listen to what it says about him. In reverence prepared an ark. In other words, in a holy posture of believing what God told him, he prepared that ark, not only for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. He was actually witness to the rest of the world that this is how faith works. Because the rest of the people watching him build that ark, what were they believing? They were believing something they had never seen It's not going to rain. You're crazy, old man. You're a fool for building this big of a ship. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a colossal failure. They were believing the opposite. They were believing the only things they were believing, what they had seen. And yet Noah started building something to prepare for something that he had never seen. First, next up is Abraham. And Abraham, of course, kind of dominates the chapter a little bit here, but watch this. And I want you to see the action points. 
by faith Abraham. We can go through Romans and we can see, you know, someone was telling me they was doing a paper uh, on grace versus works for a, a class at a Christian school that they attended or attend. And um, I said, just read Romans. Read Romans. If you want material as to grace and works and go to Abraham and how he was justified by faith and it wasn't anything he did, it was what he believed. It was what he trusted God. But here's Abraham. When he was called, here's your first action word, obeyed. Now, what is it referencing to? What was his first act of obedience? Leaving his home, leaving his comfort zone, leaving his surroundings. He obeyed. And he did that by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. There again is this absence of evidence that he just, he didn't have all of the answers. He didn't have the plan. He didn't, he just had that one command, pack up your stuff, you and your wife, leave your family and head that way and I'll direct you as you go. And it says by faith he did that. In other words, he did not have a, a guarantee. This is how this works and I want to show you. You know, here's step one, two, and three. No, he had to, Follow this by faith. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Here's another action point in verse 10. For he was looking, looking for a city he hadn't seen. It's his faith that's operating in what he... He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. This, this is one of the action points of faith. He was acting on the promise of God without the evidence of where it was or that it even existed. But he went looking. And then it jumps to Sarah. We're going to take a break here just for this moment with Sarah. It's kind of interesting. It says, by faith, even Sarah. Now, we don't really think of Sarah being much of a woman of faith, do we? But she was a woman of faith. What was her faith? Her self-received ability to conceive. Hallelujah. Maybe she didn't have, I, I, I think some translation says she was strengthened or given strength to conceive. Maybe she was just tired. And it was too much for her to conceive. And yet the Lord, I think, by this energized her so that she was given the capacity and ability to conceive who would become Isaac. We're going to skip down to verse 17. We'll come back to these other verses because it picks it back up. There's this little bit of an interlude there between Sarah and Abraham is mentioned again in verse 17, if you're following along with me. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Here again is an act of his faith. He offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, the son of promise he was about to sacrifice. Why? Why would he do that? This was all an act of faith. 
It says it was he to whom was said, Isaac, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He knew that Isaac was the son of promise, and yet he was about to put him on some wood and kill him because God says, sacrifice your son to me. And it tells us why he was willing to do that. Watch the next verse. Abraham considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. Abraham did not understand that. I am absolutely sure. I haven't talked to him, but I guarantee he. I don't understand this, but I trust you, and if this is what you want me to do, I'm going to step back and watch you raise him up from the dead because that's the one you told me that my descendants will come through. And see, what do we do? We start analyzing situations, and we kind of start predicting the outcome. <laughs> and if we don't like the outcome... We just like kind of back off and, and, and see if it all materializes to where we can act on God's promise. And, and Abraham was, was to the point, why, why do you, there's a, to me there's a simple answer to this, but I want to just get your feedback. Why do you think he was willing to do that based on what? I know it said that he, was, he knew that God was evil, but why, did he, why do you think he came to that kind of assurance? at this point in his life? It's not a trick question. I'm just like, and I, I, it might not be an answer. Yeah, he already was looking at a miracle. His son was already a miracle. He'd already saw that, you know, and he wasn't really a, a man of great faith or he wouldn't have gotten along with Hagar. And tried to make it happen. And yet, here he comes. Sarah gives birth to a child. He grows up to be a young man. Maybe still in his teenage years. When Abraham's... He's looking at someone that shouldn't even be here to begin with. Unless God did it. So it looks to me like his history... And isn't this how God works in us? He kind of reminds us sometimes, Well, didn't I take care of you there? Didn't I get you through that? If I got you through that, I'm going to get you through this. And I think that's what he was doing. He wasn't acting on this, I don't think, blind faith. He was looking at a son that was a miracle to be there. And he says, if it's going to take another miracle for him to get married and have children, God's going to raise him up off of these, this wood from the dead. So it says, by faith, he did that. Um, in verse 20, next up is Isaac, that young man that was on the wood. And it's kind of interesting, Isaac and Jacob, how their faith played out. Because, you know, you look at Isaac and Rebecca, they, they weren't model parents. You know, they, they did not write a book on how to raise twins and, and them love each other. You know, they, they chose favorites, and it was, it was horrendous. And yet Isaac walks some things out by faith. And he's mentioned in this, he says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. He ended up blessing both of those boys, regardless of the the contest between them and the disturbance between them. He had a blessing for both of them. Esau was supposed to, in his mind, get the blessing. But this this is why the Lord had 
had to use a, a conniving Jacob to get the blessing because Isaac was way off line. You know, God had already told him the uh, older will serve the younger. And yet Isaac was determined to put the blessing on Esau, and that wasn't God's will. But he did bless Esau. And next up in verse 21 is Jacob. And by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, you remember this? This is one of the great, there's a book about this, about him calling in all of his sons. And when he got to Joseph, he called in both of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And this is registered as an act of faith. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on top of his staff. It gets pretty good here. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning the bones. That was an act of faith. In fact, some say that, that uh, Jacob gave instructions, his interment, uh, don't forget to take me and bury me. And, and they did. They, took, they had a special funeral procession and took him and buried him in the promised land. What was that, an act of? It was an act of the people of Israel is not going to stay in Egypt. And then when Joseph gets ready to die, he makes them, he, he tells them, says, uh, you take my body with you when y'all get out of here. Well, he didn't know when they was going to leave, but he knew they were going to leave because that wasn't their permanent home. Egypt was not their permanent home. And it says this was an act of faith. When, when he was facing his own death, he said, don't forget to take me with you. And exa- they did exactly that. I wondered all those 40 years they <laughs> carried <laughs> mummified Joseph. Man, we're getting tired of carrying that casket around with us. He's been with us for 40 years. <laughs> we're ready to bury him somewhere over across that river. It might have been the first thing they did. It's like, hey, we get to bury Joseph. <laughs> Let's go to verse 23. By faith, Moses, and it jumps to Moses. When he was born, was isn't this interesting? What his parents did is kind of like uh, a faith moment for Moses. Even though Moses... Moses just being a good baby, I guess. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, where he can do something about faith, when he was grown up, refused, refused the status of royalty. That's really what he did. He refused to take on the title of Pharaoh's grandson, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused that status. Instead, he chose to endure ill treatment, suffering with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made a decision he would not be in the palace where people waited on him and would feed him to go out and identify with these slaves because he chose rather to be identified with their suffering than with all of the amenities of belonging in the palace. And it's not over with. He said, considering the approach of Christ greater, he had some kind of idea of Messiah here. 
greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There's that thing again of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He was looking for something that he did not see right then, but he believed it. He kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, and then it talks about Israel, the whole nation in verse 29, that they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. And it talks about faith. Uh, the walls of Jericho fell down. Let me just stop right there and go back to verse 13. We kind of skipped that, but I want you... Th- this is probably the most powerful definition of faith in this chapter. Listen closely. This is kind of like an interlude. This is not a specific person named. These are like people grouped in this era of time. And in verse 13 it says, All these died in faith. Now think about that. All these people died in faith. Now take the definition of faith and put it there. All these people died in the substance of things hoped for. All these people died in the evidence of things they had not seen. They died in faith. I think that's an interesting thing. They all died in faith. They didn't die without faith. They died knowing that all of this was ahead. They didn't see it. They didn't see everything. They didn't get all the promises of God. It even says that, if you follow along with me. Um, they They all died in faith without receiving the promises, without experiencing the fullness of the promises they knew God had given them. They didn't abandon their faith because at the end of their life they hadn't seen the fulfillment of things that they were given. They, they died believing in spite of not seeing it yet. That ought to say something to us, should it not? And having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. There's this longing for, this looking for something other than where they're at. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They desire a better country. The thing is, faith is not earthly focused. Faith is heavenly focused. You know, what what kind of city is like Abraham? Abraham, tell us that city whose builder and maker is God. What what do you think it looks like? He could not have been talking about a city on this planet. Because cities on this planet are built by people. There was something about this walk of faith, and may I just kind of remind us that it's great to have a financial plan. It's great to have retirement years. It's great to know what your 401K is and all that, but this is not our permanent home. This is not what we're made to remain. We're made for another world. Even said the Israelites realized that they just weren't pilgrims in Egypt 
And as they crossed the Red Sea over in what would become the Sinai Desert, they were, they were pilgrims here because this is not their residence. Their residence is above. Think about Joshua. Joshua's not in the list, is he? You see Joshua in there? <laughs> I, I think he's in the group, though. I think he's in these all. <laughs> these people lived it out. And he talks about Gideon and all these others that just, they were people of faith. I think, I think we can put Joshua in there. I think he fits there, right? Think about, think about the uniqueness of Joshua. First of all, he is the one in charge of an untrained army of ex-slaves in battle with seasoned soldiers of Amalek. And they couldn't, win the, they couldn't win the fight on their expertise. They could only win as long as Moses had his hands up and the staff of God up. Because they weren't seasoned soldiers. They didn't know what they were doing. But as long as this happened, the supernatural was all over Joshua and all over his men. And they defeated Amalek completely. Think about when Moses went up on the mountain to get the tablets, the stone tablets with the uh, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Only one person went up on that mountain other than Moses. He didn't go all the way, but he was halfway up when everybody else was told, stay off of it. <laughs> stay away from it. Any animal, anybody gets on this mountain, they're dead. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that puts Joshua in pretty, uh, you know, tight company, exclusive company. And he and Moses are the ones that come down and, they're the only two that's not went crazy down at the camp. And not only that, when Moses goes to the tent of meeting after the, you know, God designated the tent of meeting is where I'm going to meet with Moses, and he would come out. Only Joshua accompanied Moses to that tent of meeting. So it makes perfect sense that when God told Moses, don't ask me again, <laughs> you're not going in. You know, he begged there at the end. Oh, come on. Don't ask me again. But Joshua is going to lead him in. How would you like to step into those shoes? Guy with a staff, throw it down, turns into a snake, hits a rock, water comes out of it. That's pretty good, right? And here's like, he's going to put all of this on Joshua. And Joshua 1 is a great story of God preparing Joshua. You know, be strong. Don't worry about this. You just follow me. And what was Joshua in charge of? Getting an entire nation of people across the swollen river of Jordan. And a plan to go across just like they did the Red Sea, a parting of the water. And when they got over there, their first city was this mammoth wall around Jericho. And God gave him a plan. And after that, he had the colossal defeat at Ai, and who, who was the man that God had to talk to, says, I tell you what, there's sin in the camp, and you better deal with it. And Joshua dealt with it every step of the way. You know, it, it goes back to when he and Caleb are the only two of the 12 SEAL team members, the espionage group that swims the water and goes over there and checks out and scopes out, and, and it 
and it says they, they were the only two out of the 12 who had a good report. And I think sometimes we think faith is like you have to kind of like deny the obvious. I remember, uh, and, and there's, people, there's people who operate in hyperfaith. Frederick Price was one of those preachers that people listened to years ago. I don't know if anybody recalls Frederick Price, but it was blab it, grab it, name it, claim it. <clears throat> and this young lady in the church we pastored at the time got pregnant, and uh, I think she confessed a little girl, didn't she, Brenda? Yeah. And, and she would scold you if you said it could possibly be a boy. She would like, wah, play piano for us in church. I thought, what, what's up with her? Because she had decided that she was going to claim that baby to be a, a girl. She claimed it. And when she had that baby, and I'm telling you, we were all praying that it would be a girl. Because she had already used up all her capital with everybody. It was a boy. And the doctor came out and says, you have a beautiful boy. She burst into tears and said, it can't be. God told me it's going to be a girl. And we've been praying all along. It's a girl. It's a girl. And it can't be. And she's crying. And and the the OB is like, like taken back. And from what I understand, I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't there. The OB stopped her and says, would you just stop for a moment? There's a lot of women we bring babies out to, and they wished, they wished that that baby that we just handed them was perfect and healthy. And you have a healthy little boy. You have a blessing that most, a lot of people don't know how this feels. So you better stop it right now and love this baby. Well, after she got over the trauma, you know what she was upset? She was upset over the embarrassment that she, what she thought was faith was stupidity. It wasn't faith. It wasn't faith. Why do you do that? It's not denial. It's a confession of a trust. I trust the Lord. Pray for all you want, but trust God in the end with the results. And, and when, when they came back from that surveying of the land of, of Canaan, they, they weren't two people that says, oh, those people are nobody. They're not big. Cities are not. They weren't in denial of what the others were talking about. They didn't say, no, that's not true. Those cities are not that bad. We got this. No, but the reason why they had a different report is they saw what was out there, but they believed what was said from here. They said, our God is able to do what we need done. He's able. Yeah, you're right. The cities are well fortified. There's a lot of armed people over there. And, but God said he would do this. They was believing this. They weren't denying this. And I think, we, I think it's a lesson we need to really... I think sometimes we're caught in... <laughs> in a, a moment to where we just want to make it happen so much that we just say it over and over and over again, and that's okay. But in the end, we have to trust God. We have to trust the faithfulness of God, His goodness, His mercy. 
things are not all the time going to work out good for us. And that's when faith is on trial. You know, when they, when they came to hang Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right before Hitler was going to commit suicide, he and his, his um, mistress, the guy that witnessed Bonhoeffer coming out of his cell said the man knelt down and prayed and trusted himself into the hands of God. And the ones who executed him were forever emblazoned in their mind a man who might have been praying that he would survive because he was engaged to get married. And his, and his fiance was hiding with other members of the family in England that had gotten out of Germany. He never got to marry her. He never got to see the future that he wanted. But he was okay with putting it in God's hands. Can we do that? I hope we can. I hope we can. I think we can. And why do you think he named names in Hebrews 11? He wanted us to see people who did it. Normal people just like us. Weak people just like us. Scared people just like us. Challenged just like us. And in and, and a way he said, if they can do it, you can trust me. If they can trust me, you can trust me. And they didn't see everything that, the, that was promised to them. And they still will. I guess we'll die not seeing it, but we're dying believing. That's what he said. They died in faith. So let's stand together. I just, I just want to throw you back into Hebrews 11 and say, where, where can I fit in there? Where's the situation that I need to say, uh, I, want to, I want to be able to handle that. I want to handle that. And many times all you need to do is go back and see what God's done in your life.